The object of religion is that the soul should serve God, not that God should serve the soul. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I'm here to walk you through the essentials of what it means to follow Christ as a Catholic disciple. Let's begin. Last week, we talked about repentance and conversion. John the Baptist, Jesus, and the apostolic preaching starts with one word, metanoia, repent. It means meta, beyond, or afterward, to change your mind, to change your heart, to change your life. The word was quickly translated into the English language as repentance, and some think this is a limiting term, but the true Catholic understanding of repentance or do penance means one, interior sorrow over my past sins and past way of life, two, renunciation of my sin today, and three, resolution not to commit it again in the future so that I am truly engaging in metanoia. I am going beyond my own mind and I am changing it to be the mind of Christ. This week's question, however, is what happens when the disciple becomes disillusioned with Christ? There's a huge trend today called deconstructing your discipleship. It's a phenomenon in all denominations, especially the Catholic Church. There's no difference there. But this term or phrase is more well-known in the evangelical world. Millions of young adults are defecting from Christ and or Christianity and mostly becoming nuns. It's not that necessarily they're going to another religion. They might just be going to goat yoga or something like that. Yet the Catholic Church has actually centuries of spiritual writings on just this topic and the wisdom to see you through the disillusionment phase. So join me as we journey with famous Anglican convert to Catholicism, Robert Hugh Benson. He's also a brilliant author. His dad was the Archbishop of Canterbury for the Anglican Church, which is like the head of the Anglican Church. So this is a pretty big deal that he became a Roman Catholic. And we're going to walk through his amazing book, The Friendship of Christ, exploring the humanity of Jesus. But before we dive into that show, we have a little announcement that needs be made. After 17 years of full-time parish ministry, I'm thrown in the towel. I am leaving full-time parish ministry in order to pursue a career of doing uh, parish missions, writing, hopefully finishing those 12 books I've started over the years, as well as podcasting, Every Knee Shall Bow, Catching Foxes, all the rest. And this is made possible by the fine folks over at Paradisius Day. As I go on to help out, that man is you, men's ministry. So essentially what I'm going to be doing is traveling around the country uh, without having to take all this time off to do remote work for my parish job back home. And after 17 years, I can say, like, I'm leaving such a great parish. I have no regrets in my so many years of working there. However, uh, I feel like the Lord is definitely calling me into this next step of ministry. So sales pitch, if your parish or diocese is in need of a parish mission, a staff retreat or evangelization training, reach out to me at gomer at layevangelist.com, or you can go to layevangelist.com itself for more information, which is a website seen by dozens. So let's dive into our topic today. Okay. So Robert Hugh Benson is a brilliant author, brilliant writer. Uh, his most famous book is Come Rack, Come Rope. He also has uh, a famous like dystopian novel called The Lord of the World, which if any of you have ever gotten the dystopian novel, The Canticle for Leibowitz, 
on audible.com this is always recommended as the next listen i have literally had it on here since i got uh canticle for Leibowitz, and i always look at it, i'm like robert hugh benson robert hugh benson i don't know who that guy is well i recently found this book that i have and i've kept it uh, scepter press they do an okay job with uh with their book covers but this book cover it, eh, it was one of those that you're like what is this like a hippies jesuit book from the 70s but i'm so happy i cracked the covers because it's kind of in the same genre as uh, Frank Sheed's two books, To Know Christ Jesus and What Difference Does Jesus Make, where he just wants you to meditate on the actual words and deeds of Jesus to bring you into relationship, into proximity, into intimacy with Jesus Christ. But what he does is he takes the great Catholic tradition of, the, of spiritual growth. So if you're not familiar with this, there are three stages or ways of uh, growth in Christ in the Catholic Church in our spiritual writings. Phase one is known as the purgative stage. This is the time uh, path. And again, each one of these can last years. It all depends on the individual pilgrim walking this journey. But the purgation stage is where you are purged of self so that you can make room for Christ. Then the next stage is the illuminative stage. And that is where the light of Christ begins to replace your, uh, well, let's be honest, all the things that he just purged off of you. And this is the stage where you really think of it as growing into stability in virtue. I used to think the illuminative stage was like, so purgative stage is like, oh, I'm still struggling with uh, all of these mortal sins. And the illuminative stage is, okay, I got the mortal sins under control. Now I'm just going to kind of live my life. But no, no, no. The illuminative stage is I am making rapid progress in virtues to the point where these virtues are actually a part of my character. Right, that's the illuminative stage, and the final stage is the unitive stage. This is the stuff where saints like Saint Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross talk about mystical marriage and mystical union with God that transcends anything this side of of heaven. Uh, it's just an incredible foretaste of what awaits all of us. That some souls get to partake of it now. But what Robert Hugh Benson does is he wants to analyze the disciples union with Christ. And so in the third chapter of his book, the friendship of Christ, he takes the, the stages of growth and he slows us down and he says, let's focus on why so many people give up Christ. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with that initial stage of friendship with Christ. So at part one, the initial stage of friendship with Christ, this is a stage of conversion where someone is awakened maybe to their Catholic faith or they convert to Catholicism, whatever it might be. And this is where the soul takes great pleasure in all of the external things uh, that have been sanctified by Christ's presence, right? I mean, think about the convert. Think about someone who converted. Everything is exciting. The Bible is new and exciting. Prayer is fresh. The rosary is exciting. Divine Mercy Chaplet, Jesus talk to a woman, a nun, and it had, she has a diary. She has a dear diary of Jesus, and, and we got this beautiful chaplet out of it. The novelty of faith, of Christ, of the church is found everywhere. And such a person finds such an overwhelming joy at the human side of the church, the liturgy, the priesthood, the art, the music, et cetera, et cetera. This novelty of faith is fresh. And we find that this, there is an extraordinary happiness in Christ. He's the perfect companion. His presence is continuous. The awareness of him is consciously everywhere in the heart of such a believer. They are quite literally infatuated with Christ. Lovely things are more lovely because of him. Nothing is indifferent to Christ. 
Robert Hughes Benson would describe this as, it is a largely sweet experience because it is new, because she has just entered upon it. And we would call this initial stage of conversion an infatuation with Christ. This is a stage that most Christians in their immaturity, however, will never progress beyond. This is the place where most Christians lose. This is the shallow soil where they lose their faith in Jesus when disillusionment hits them. Now, why? Because as we transition from this stage into truly the purgative stage, we understand this principal concept that will guide us throughout the rest of our discussion today. Even here, even with the beauty and the infatuation and the awareness and the consciousness of his presence, this friendship with Jesus is not consummated because this friendship is not yet an end in itself. Christ is not yet the end in himself for the soul. Christ desires to consummate their union, but her soul must be prepared through the stages of purgation and illumination. So these are the necessary minimums. So then we go from part one, the initial stage of friendship with Christ, into the beginning of the purgative stage. This is part two. This is what we would call the disillusionment with human things. And this is how Robert Hughes Benson describes it. This is when the soul encounters something like a divided congregation, right? You hear like, oh, this is a great church. They have great liturgy. They do all these great things. Oh, the pastor, he's so wonderful. And then you show up and everyone's gossiping and people are rude and they're backbiting. They're, they're doing all sorts of horrible stuff. And you're like, whoa, I don't even want to be for five seconds around these people. Or maybe you go to confession and you think like, okay, I'm repenting. I love repenting. And then you encounter a priest who's just rotten or short tempered or just had a bad day. And he takes it out on you on the confessional. I had a buddy who, when he knelt down in the confessional, the kneeler was soaking wet and he couldn't figure out why until he went back to out to do his penance. Actually he had to, after he cussed out the priest, because my friend's very confrontational. And he realized that those were his wife's tears because of how the priest berated her in confession. She didn't even wait for absolution. She just booked it. And he didn't notice it because he was in a different line. And then they switched over. And he's like, oh, my goodness. He's like, if we had a little bit less faith, we would no longer be Catholic, right? There is scandal, right? The sex abuse scandal, all of this stuff, people being abused in the church. And I don't just mean physically, but, you know, volunteers being like <laughs> dragged around for milked for every last drop of volunteerism. There's selfish laity, et cetera. We all know we can, we can enumerate this bad leadership, bad, whatever. And it goes on and on. Now, see, in the first stage, the love of Christ that we had, the infatuation that we experienced had gilded over, right? Like, like with gold paint over all of these problematic areas. But now, but now Benson says the gilding has worn off. Christ must educate, purify, and cleanse the soul. And using the language of the book of Hosea, where God says, I allured Israel out into the wilderness so that I can strip her of all of her garments and adornments and jewelry that all of these nations and their false gods had given her in her prostitution. And this is what uh, Benson uses to describe the purgative stage that here God is going to strip us of our false adornment and raiment. And then at the end, he will adorn us with all that is Christ and is of Christ. And so here's the deal. This is what the soul does when we enter into this disillusionment, right? Now tell me if this is you, right? You, you thought that the church must be perfect. 
a lot of Protestant converts, right? They're reading, you know, you read Scott Hahn's The Lamb Supper. You expect every mass to be heaven on earth. You expect it to be the book of Revelation with the lamb standing on the scrolls with the seals being broken. And oh my goodness, it's amazing. And then you go to mass and it's like, lift high the banners of love, right? Like you have all this like hokey music and all this stuff. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. And terrible preaching and altar service with their fingers up their nose. Like you, you don't even know. And you're like, I, I, I thought the church was perfect. I thought the church was perfect because the church is Christ's church, right? Right? Isn't this the one true church and, and this is the best that we got? Or maybe it's they thought that the priesthood, Benson says, was stainless because we knew it was the order of Melchizedek. Or, I love this, he says, or worship, the novelty of liturgy has worn off. And this is his phrase. This phrase means a lot to me. And the sweetness of familiarity had not yet formed in her soul because it was too new. So you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who have been practicing the Catholic faith for years and actually practice it, actually do it, actually go to the liturgies that you don't have to go to, you know, the non-holy day of obligation, masses like Holy Thursday and Good Friday and the Easter Vigil. You don't have to go to those masses, but you go to them because you're like, oh, I feel in my bones, surpassing just an emotion. I feel in my very bones as well as my heart and my soul. The, the passion of Christ and the, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and that anticipation of the Easter vigil, all of that, right? Well, that sweetness of familiarity hadn't set in. The, it, it's too new. The novelty of liturgy is too new, but it's getting worn out. So the more, this is, this is something fascinating, the more acute that infatuated soul has of her imaginative love at the beginning the more acute her disappointment now. What do we mean by this? Well, let's put it in human terms, in terms of a relationship. If you think that every romance is a Nicholas Sparks novel, you're going to be really disappointed when you actually have an actual relationship. Uh, and that's the thing is, sometimes when we sell Christianity to people, right, and they encounter that perfect companion, they think what that means, kind of, is he's going to make everything perfect. And I always say, people, I never promised you a rose garden, I promise you the agony in the garden. I never said the rose garden, but at the end, there would be a resurrection. So this is what happens. There is no cleansing process, as Benson says, which has not within it a certain destructive power. And this is where all the superficial souls fail. This is where they chuck out their friendship with Christ and all the gifts and enticements that Christ offered to the soul to woo her. This is where, when those start getting stripped away, when, you know, for me, let me give you my testimony. For me, those graces were these hugely emotional moments that I experienced as a teenager on a Steubenville youth conference at Steubenville South in Louisiana. Like, that thing set my brain, heart, mind on fire. I already knew my faith. I was a nerd for my faith. But man, oh man, I had never felt it in my soul like that. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Those graces, those experiences, those gifts were just that. They were gifts. They weren't the giver. And this is the problem for people who have retreat or conference conversions is that sometime without things like small groups and quads, that's what the, the discipleship groups that Steubenville does, without these things, without these enduring things that go week by week or month by month, what happens is we have a superficial or overly imaginative understanding of what an actual relationship with God looks like. And so what Christ does is when he starts to pull away the gifts, we end up rejecting the giver because it's like, I'm not really in it for you, man. 
I'm in it for the gifts. I'm in it for the way you make me feel. And that is dangerous, which is why he ought to strip us of these false adornments. In the words of Benson, such souls mistake a human romance for the divine love. But if this soul is not superficial, but stronger, if she be stronger, then the lesson will be learned that the divinity is not in earthly things. And the love of Christ is a deeper thing than the mere presence he makes felt for his friends. Okay. So that's the first part of the purgative way. So right now we're on that. That was just part two, right? But the part two, so part one is the infatuation. Part two is the beginning of the purgative way. So stage one is the disillusionment with human things. Now we're going to go into the next step of the purgative way, which is the disillusionment with divine things. And this part I had to reread like five or six times. So remember the human things is like the priest, the church, all of these things, but now something else shifts. This is where, okay, the earthly side has failed her. Okay. But now it seems like the divine side is failing her too. One of the principal elements of this type of disillusionment is what we call the monotony. And come, come on, come on. You know you, you resonate with this. The monotony of piety. The monotony of piety. When I read that line, I wrote that down in my dream journal. Just kidding. It was on a post-it note. But I wrote that down. And I was like, I do not want to forget this phrase. The monotony of piety. The externals of religion and of the earthly things that we do they end up wearing thin, right? They end up wearing thin, but Hey, guess what else does? Sometimes prayer does liturgy does meditative prayer, right? Mental prayer, all of these things that we do, they can wear so thin. I, I've done Exodus 90 at around day 20. You want to check the whole thing. It becomes monotonous and not in that fun, familiar way that we were talking about earlier, but the monotony of piety. You're like, Oh, I thought you said it was grace. This doesn't feel like a radical new life. Do I feel like a new creation? And then we go on further. The soul knows that God wants her to have virtue, but there's no answer. There's no voice being like, do this, don't do that. And the problem is you start to look at your own soul and you see the same sins and you feel like my human nature hasn't changed. I got dunked in the waters on Easter vigil. I haven't been converted. I haven't been transformed. There's no transubstantiation of my heart, right? Into Christ's. And maybe this soul becoming disillusioned with divine things feels like Christ has cheated her. Like, like some sleazy, you know, salesman promised her a bill of goods and it did not deliver. But this is very dangerous ground because in the previous stage, it's very easy to distinguish between Christ and say church music, right? But it's harder to distinguish between Christ and his grace. Or rather, this is Benson's words, between Christ and our own imaginative conceptions of what grace should be like. Sherry Waddell in Forming Intentional Disciples has a quote. I think the quote is from, oh, I'm going to forget who it's from. But the line is, grace is grace. It's not magic. And I think a lot of us would rather live in the magical version of grace than we would in the real version of grace. And we have this imaginative concept of what grace should do. Well, once I become a Christian, I start conquering my sin and I start telling people about Jesus and my whole family converts and I go to a parish where we're all on fire for Christ. And it's like, we're living acts of the apostles minus all the parts of the apostles get beat up, stoned, imprisoned and crucified upside down, right? Like that's kind of what we feel. And so there are these bursts of disappointment and even resentment, resentment against the church, re disillusionment 
of even like turning to God in prayer, it becomes a sour thing, not a life-giving thing. Imagine going from a state of infatuation to something where even praying becomes annoying and resentful, right? So such a soul often passes, right? This is what weak superficial souls do. They go to some other religion. They go to some modern fad. Okay, this is where the goat yoga comes in that promises quick and verifiable returns in spiritual things, right? So you're actually making progress. If you made it to stage two of the disillusionment with divine things in the purgative way, what happens is you're actually making spiritual progress, but it doesn't feel like progress. It feels like surgery, right? But if you have cancer, sometimes the most radically progressive thing you can do is to cut it out. And that's what Christ is doing to the soul with false adornments, a false identity. And so he has to remove these things. Or what happens if they don't leave the faith, if they don't go after some stupid fad or some trendy quasi-Christian group, something worse happens. And I am so thankful for Robert Hugh Benson pointing this out. He said, the most outrageous and unnatural than any other state is the state of the cynical and disillusioned Christian. This is the Christian who says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like you, you know, super excited to go Jesus. Rah, rah, go Jesus. I once believed in miracles. I was like you too. I had my enthusiasms, but that's all well and good. Now it's just this. And this is, this is real life. This is fine. So this is a soul, right? This is a soul that believes that, nope, barrenness and desolation, that is what the Christian life is. But if the soul is strong, so that's the superficial soul. One leaves for a fad that'll give me a quick return. The other one acquiesces to cynicism and disillusionment. But if the soul is strong to still cleave to her first love, then she becomes confident that her blissful initiation, right, that infatuation stage, cannot in the long run lead to nothing other than desolation. That she knows, I've experienced great joy in Christ. I know it was great joy. Yeah, sure, it didn't last. My whole life, I'm not walking around with a big goofy smile on my face. I know that that might have had an ending. But because I experienced that, I know the rest of my life is not just nothing but cynicism and sorrow and disappointment and resentment. So there's hope. She realizes that it is, okay, this is not my line. I love this line. I think it is so powerful. This soul, if she realizes it is better to weep and kneel eternally at the grave of the buried Lord than to go back to the world, right? She says, it is better for me to live Holy Saturday than it is to go back to the world, right? I will sit here and I will stay until the King arises in my heart again. And this is the lesson that at least one lesson she learns when Jesus rises again in her heart. And that is this, the object of religion is that the soul should serve God, not that God should serve the soul. Okay. And with that epic point, we're going to throw it out to a brief pause and a message from Ascension, the sponsors of this mighty fine podcast. Just a reminder, we are a seasonal show now. And as such, we aspire to do things like batch recordings. We are not doing that. So whether they're my solo things or we do interviews or Dave Van Vickle comes back, keep your fingers crossed, pray for that. Uh, we need to give our amazing editors plenty of time to, you know, like actually edit the podcast. So this means you need to be on my mailing list so that you can get the lengthy show notes, all of the details for each show, and you get updates when the new shows are going to be dropping. So in order to do that, text EKSB to 33777, and you will be added to our email list, and it'll be beautiful. Also, here's another call to action that I never do. Do you want to reach out to us and ask a question? 
If you want to reach out and ask a question about this series or something else we've covered in the past or something Dave said that one time with that one thing, right? Email us EKSB at ascensionpress.com. And you might have your question read aloud on the show for a future uh, listener question episode. We are now looking for you to send us questions so that we can go through them. And it's by far one of my favorite topics to cover. Okay, now off to the ad break. The most important person ever to walk the face of the earth. The source and summit of all things Catholic. But do we really know him? Hi, I'm Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio, sometimes known as Dr. Italy. For 30 years, I've taught about Jesus in Catholic University classrooms, on TV, and on radio. And I've been surprised at how Catholics, fascinated with so many of the unique features of the rich Catholic tradition, seem to take for granted the very basis of it all, the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some other Catholic Bible teachers I know have noticed the very same problem. So, Jeff Cavins, Dr. Edward Stree, and I decided to collaborate on a groundbreaking study that would focus simply on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, filmed on location in the land where it all happened. Those who take this journey with us will learn amazing new things about the gospel stories they thought they knew so well, about his family, his friends, his enemies, his miracles. But even more importantly, they will come to know Jesus in a new and astonishing way that will make a surprising difference in their everyday lives. This study, Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, helps you learn with all your senses. The videos filmed on site in the Holy Land will change the way you visualize the gospel stories. The study guide includes gorgeous images, provocative quotes, illuminating maps, and challenging questions. The book that accompanies the study will have you riveted all the way to the end. Order the study pack now at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus and get immediate at-home access to the videos and the study guide while the printed components are shipped to you. Again, you can order Jesus the Way, the Truth, and the Life at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus. You'll be glad you did. Your life will never be the same. All right, and we are back. Now we're going into the fourth part of today's show, which is actually the third step. Don't get confused between the fourth part and the third step. This is the third and final step of the purgative way. So step one of the purgative way is disillusionment with humanity or external things or, or earthly things. The second one is disillusionment with divine things, prayer, meditation, liturgy, whatever. And now finally, this step, the final disillusionment is with the self. The soul has learned that external things, guess what they're not? They're not Christ. They might be good, but they're not Christ. Internal things like our pretend imaginings that grace is actually magic. These internal things are not Christ himself. The soul becomes disillusioned. And this is the, the kind of the motto. If you imagine you're holding a picture in your hands, he said that first the soul becomes disillusioned by the picture frame. That's the external thing. Next with the picture itself, right? That's in the middle before she reached the original. And what is the original? The original is not Christ. The original is you. The lesson you and I must learn, the soul must learn, is the last lesson of all is to become disillusioned with ourselves. 
I love the way Robert Hugh Benson puts this because I have read Interior Castle. I've read Dark Knight of the Soul. I love these great works, Fulfillment of All Desire by Ralph Martin, where he summarizes a lot of these great teachings and organizes them so well. But Robert Hughes Benson puts it in one chapter. He summarizes this stuff so powerfully. And this is what he says. She, and remember, he always refers to the soul in the feminine pronoun, she. She thought it was Christ who had failed her, but realizes now that all along she failed him. And this is where she begins to be stripped fully of her garments. This is where we become naked and exposed before the Lord. The soul always retained a belief. Now, come on, this is us. Always retained a belief that there was something in me that attracted Christ, that gave that, that caused Christ to give me grace. He was looking at humanity and he saw me and he was like, oh, I have got to make Gormley a Christian. Oh, I have got to make Gormley on my side, right? There's something about us that thinks that. Rather than it being the pure initiative of Christ, beloved, it is not that we love God first, but rather he loved us, uh, as it says in 1 John, right? Like this notion, though, that there's something in me, well, that's being purified in the final disillusionment. We're tempted to think that Christ failed us, but really we are the ones who fail Christ. And the real object of purgation is to be stripped of just such a false attitude. The soul learns her own ignorance and sin. The closer you come to God, the more you discover amazing levels of self-centeredness and complacency. I think about now, my life, understanding the liturgy more, it becomes difficult for me to not go to daily mass or to not want to go to those extra masses like Holy Triduum, right? To, to not want to be just immersed in the liturgical history of the church and the great gifts and the treasures of the church. Like there's this thing of like, I was so complacent about that stuff. I was so self-centered. I would rather sit at home on my butt rather than going to prayer, praying early, staying after mass and praying. And I realized like, because he wasn't really the point. The point was what he gave to me in those moments. So why would I want to spend time with him? Why would I want to have his presence with me when all I really wanted, when I actually admitted it, was the experiences he gave me rather than his own presence. So this final disillusionment is where I encounter this ignorance, this complacency, this sin, this self-centeredness and think, oh wow, it was me the whole time who's been a false friend. The soul thought up until now, and I love this, I must possess and hold Christ as a lover, as a friend. I must grasp him to keep him. And here in this purgative step, you must relinquish Christ. You must let go of your, this is Benson's words, your energetic hold on him. Wait, what? I let go of Christ? That sounds very counterintuitive. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Because we're thinking self-centeredly. We must let go of our energetic hold on Christ so that once we let him go, he may hold fast to us. We must give up this notion of a mutual friendship, like we're, we're 50-50 business partners with Jesus. The self must be overcome. We talked about this with Frank Sheed. The self is the enemy. Christ must do all and be all. There's no more mutuality, just the gift of his presence to you, him to you. Give up the mutual friendship thing. That's not how Christianity ultimately works. Because this whole time you and I are thinking, I'm here to possess Jesus. And he's sitting here thinking, no, no, no. I let you think that so that eventually 
you might let me possess you. It is not that we possess Christ. We can't. We're finite. Jesus says, I am the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. But he also says this beautiful thing. You're the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. I am not a branch off of your life. I'm not your top 10. I'm not your top three. I'm not your number one branch. You are the branch off my life. Read John 15 if you're struggling with this part. You have to abandon the the idea that I'm entering into some mutual bargaining agreement with the God of the universe. You must see that it's been yourself all along and that the self has been hateful, hateful because it is not altogether lost in Christ. He must be all and she must be nothing. Now, if your soul is strong, And you've come this far to the third and final disillusionment and purgation. Sheer pride, arrogance, right? That's never going to ruin your friendship with the Lord. You have had too much real knowledge gained, too much suffering for a as a real cure for that kind of pride. And you see how plainly worthless you and I are. But there is a danger. There's two dangers at this stage. One is pride, but it's subtle, and it's disguised as an extravagant humility. It's kind of like that cynical Christian earlier, since I'm so worthless, let me never try to have union with our Lord. May I never try to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. I'm so unworthy. I cannot seek intimacy with Christ. What a lie from Satan. What a tool of the devil to keep you away from your one true love. I mean, think about that, right? This is the, this is the extravagant humility. Okay. I've encountered the fact that it was me, always me all along. So I'm done seeking anything beyond what I have so far is what I'm sticking with and I'm done. And that's not what Christ wants. Christ wants to consummate your friendship. He wants intimacy. You have to trust that he wants that. But if you don't trust that, then you will stop right here. Or the other form is despair, right? You sit there and you're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I've learned the lesson. I'm unworthy. But the soul gets lost, not in Christ's love, Christ's desire for intimacy with you, Christ's uh, salvific plan for your life, but the soul gets lost in the unworthiness. I've become forfeit, Benson says. I've lost the excuse of pride. Okay, it's gone. But actually, the hidden substance of it remains, right? He loved me, but I only loved myself. Oh, no. And this is where you say the words of St. Peter, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man right? Leave me, Lord. I, I can't possibly have you in the same boat as me. Oh, what was me? What was me? This is the moment of the purgative stage's actual completion. This is when you come to the moment where your soul has been purified. You have been stripped bare. Now, like Peter, cast yourself into the sea and swim to the risen Lord, right? Can you think about it? Peter is standing on the shore. Peter is standing on the shore, and here we are with our pride and our arrogance. No, cast off your clothes and dive in to the waters of Christ's life. Swim to him. You're nothing, and know that you're nothing. And it's because you know that you're nothing that Christ can finally be your all. Not your little joy feeling that you felt on a retreat that one time. Not the experience of community or brotherhood you had on some you know, Catholic event that you did. No, pride has not been wounded. Pride is now dead dead. And so you can go. It's not going to hold you back from seeking our Lord. Catholic spiritual writers talk about this stuff all the time, but we miss it because we're not reading them. We're not meditating. What do we read? We're reading the shack. We're reading the shack. We make the shack a best-selling book. The shack 
cannot navigate the, the times of deconstructing discipleship. Brothers and sisters, there's so much wisdom in these Catholic writers. So let me sum up today's thing. Let me sum it up. The purgative way in our friendship with Christ teaches us this lesson. Number one, Christ purges his friends of all that is not of him. He leaves nothing of themselves in order that he may be holy there. This is the words of Benson. For no soul can learn the strength and the love of God until she has cast her whole weight upon him. All of you is enough for all of him. He can receive you. He alone can receive the whole gift of yourself. Warts and all, sin and all. But now remember those mysterious words to Mary Magdalene right at the resurrection when she goes up to Jesus whom she mistakes as a gardener and when she realizes it's our Lord, what does our Lord say to her in return? So confused me for years. And Benson makes it so perfectly clear. He rebukes Mary and says, stop holding on to me. You have to let him go so that he might fully take hold of you, that he can fully grasp you, sustain you, and prepare you for the next step. That's the point of the purgative stage. That is the point of having a friendship with Christ where he is truly your all in all. God bless.